but gradually, more and more people became aware of black music. White people started playing it, and an American DJ, Alan Freed, invented the phrase rock and roll. And here's an American preacher complaining. If you talk to a teenager of today and you ask them what it is about rock and roll music that they like, and they'll, the first thing they'll say is the beat, the beat, the beat. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, the analogue TV podcast that's wearing three-quarter-length tartan trousers. I thought this would happen. You've got something of the Bay City Roller fan about you. Your hair would go into the right shape for it. I think I could booth on it nicely. Was there ever an official name for a, a, a Bay City Rollers fan? Well, no, I mean... I know... They called it, it was, Roller Mania. Yeah, it was I obviously called Roller Mania. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think my sister might have been one. She'd have been like 11 or 12 at the time. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if your sister was born in 1963, I mean, without wishing to give away too many family secrets. I have a vague recollection of my mum once saying something about having to get some tartan ribbon and sew it into the, the the side of her jeans. But then again, that could just have been peer pressure, couldn't it? Rather than a, a, a uh, they're not on her um, dedication to. The uh, they're not on roles. her list nowadays. No, I don't think they're on a lot of people's lists nowadays, apart from possibly the police. Anyway, in case anybody hasn't picked up on what we're talking about this week, we have been tasked by an idiot you hello to watch Shang-A-Lang the Bay City Rollers television program short-lived television program yeah but then again most things about the bay city rollers are short-lived yeah this is the first episode of the only series uh it was aired on the 1st of april 1975 right in terms of the bay city rollers chronology this is this is at their peak they are very much at their peak bye bye baby went to number one in march 1975 i thought this was later I didn't wait round for the end credits. I thought this was when they were kind of on their slide, and, and I just took everything from there. But if this is them at their peak, then dear Christ almighty. Yeah, this is them at the absolute peak. I mean, the, their breakthrough year was 1974. Yeah. And then 1975 is their UK peak. They had their two number one singles. Yep. 1976 is the year that they tried to break America. Yeah. And ended up breaking themselves. Yeah. I mean, they they partially broke America. You know, they weren't a complete yeah, failure. I think one of their songs no, is... got to like number eleven or something. Yeah, it's very true. And actually, they were also very big in Australia. Okay, fair enough. But Shangalang 
was their TV show. I'd not not seen Shangalang before, as you may may have yeah. anticipated. I didn't really know what to expect. Was it going to be like the monkeys? Was it going to be like the banana splits? Yeah. Was it going to be a straight up sort of pop and interview show? I was particularly fearful, for example, that it might have had sort of personality aspects and sketches. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, there were sometimes sketches and skits. Yeah. Luck. This episode didn't have any, and I can thank God for that. Yeah, I've seen one, Ooh, wow. and well, I can't remember a thing about it other than its absolutely overwhelming awfulness to such a point. <laughs> that it made me feel really uncomfortable watching it. Was it based on the, the you know, the, the personalities of the boys in the group? Or... No, like I say, I have no recollection of it. Um, but the, <laughs> Because just, it's absolutely shrouded in how terrible it was. It was I, I don't remember if it was a clip or an episode that I saw. I'm certain it was from YouTube. But, you know, for all I know, it might have been taken down by now. But I will have a look. And if I can find it, I'll put a link to it in the the post. Yeah. The thing is that they have no personalities. Absolutely zero. They are completely... I would say that they they have personality, but they don't have individual and distinct personalities. They've got the kind of grinning, dead-eyed look... (laughs) <laughs> of a 18 or 19 year old or some kid who's just been thrust into it but they weren't they were they were older than that they were like 20 well some of them were some of them were some of them were kids you got the classic five that's who's on display yeah. today les he was 19 at the time oh, was he only 19 fucking hell that's what comes of growing up in Scotland in the early 1970s. Well, yeah, this, that is possibly true. I mean, or just, or you could extend that to the whole of the UK. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think so. 19 years old, Christ Almighty, he looks worse than me. Les, <laughs> Les... I am actually old enough to be his father. Well, and yeah. not far off old enough to be his grandfather. Les was. Uh... 19 going on 20 he was 20 that year um then you've got alan longmuir he was the eldest right bass player 26 years old at the time yeah derek his brother 24 at the time on the drums yeah too Uh, old and then eric faulkner was the other guitar well one of the guitar players he was 21 the youngest member was Stuart woody wood (laughs) Who's only eighteen years old? He just turned yeah. eighteen at the time. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder why they drafted him. In. <laughs> we'll come back. Well, to Well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's let's get down to brass tacks. Which one? Which one of the Bay City Rollers is your favourite? Um, I tell you what, I don't like. I tell you what, I don't like. Who I don't like. Okay. I don't like the drummer. Oh, Derek. Yeah, because A, um, didn't he turn out to be a wrong one anyway? Yeah, he did 300 hours of community service at the beginning of this century or the end of last century for possession of child pornography. So, you know, there's that. But altogether more importantly, and I, I got this actually clarified from a Google image search as well. I was so appalled by it. 
Okay. When I saw it on Shangalang. That I had to go Google image that and I actually found a picture of a live concert. Wow. Did they actually play live? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and you could tell because every single last thing was mic'd up. All right. Uh, and it's the angle that he has his symbols at. <laughs> Just <laughs> fucking horrendous. They're almost vertical. I thought that there would be some sort of musicological... That reason. is not how you're supposed to play those damn things. Well... I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's weird is what it is. And it was kind of... It's gone through phases of being fashionable. It was fashionable in the in the seventies, mid to late seventies, <laughs> and it just looks awful. Oh, um, God. It makes them really difficult to play. There's just everything wrong with it. So you're you're not a fan of Derek? Not really. No. I think my favourite Bay City Roller was Eric, the guitar player. Yeah. Who looks a bit he looks a bit like Bruce Johnstone, the Beach Boy. He also okay. he also looks a little bit like Donny Osmond. <sighs> but I think the thing I like about Eric is that he I, I think really fancies himself as a bit of a guitar hero. Yeah. And, he, and he's giving it all all he's got. But at the same time, he is in the base city role. <laughs> he is he's doing bye bye baby. He is doing bye bye baby. Doesn't exactly lend itself to that. No. Funnily enough, actually, I listened to a couple of the later Bay City Rollers singles. And when I say later, I mean like end of nineteen seventy six. Yeah. And they're a little bit heavier on the guitar. But the thing is that everything else is exactly the same. So it kind of sounds yeah. a bit lame. End of 76, um, you're starting to see the the classic five be broken up. Disintegrate, yeah. You had Alan, who was the oldest and one of the founder members of the band, left in 1976, possibly as a result of, you know, being nearly 30 years old and in the Bay City Rollers. Yeah, yeah, there comes a point when you have to, you know... And then, in fact, my own beloved Eric... There was a para-suicide. He, he was a, a suspected suicide attempt using sleeping pills, yeah. which, which he denied. Right. But, um, you know. Because the thing is, there was loads of this, wasn't there? Les McEwen killed an old woman by running her own. <laughs> when they were in 1975. I think I think it was something like that. So I only briefly read it. So he, what? He would have been twenty years old. I, well, you know, it's. Um... Was he wearing a shirt at the time? Because he certainly, I don't think I've ever seen him wearing a shirt. He wears a the, a jacket, and then topless under that. Right. The entirety of Les McEwen's fucking Wikipedia page. Leslie Richard McEwen, born 12th November 1955, is a Scottish pop singer who was the lead singer of the Bay City Rollers during their most successful period. Fair enough. McEwen was born in the Simpson Memorial Maternity Pavilion, Edinburgh, to Irish parents. Right. He joined the Bay City Rollers in 1973, leaving in 1978. Citation needed. Oh, OK. End of biography. Hello and welcome to Shangalang. Which roughly translated means the Bay City Road. Which means us, I'm Derek. And I'm Eric. And I'm Leslie Richard McEwen. And I'm Alan. Come on, would you introduce yourself? I mean, you've got to do better than that. This is TV. 
But um, help Betty. <laughs> you can't just stand there saying help Betty. You got to link the program and all that. So there's 20 episodes of Shangalang. Each one, it seems, followed a fairly similar template. There'll be some performances by the Bay City Rollers. There's their regular features. Let's roll back, which is about foreskin health. No, it's about. <laughs> It's a pop nostalgia segment. That's very strange, isn't it? They were very, very big in 1970s music shows. I mean, we have encountered them before, but they pop up a lot. The rock and roll revival was a very big and very real thing in the mid-1970s. It was almost like as soon as rock and roll turned 20 years old, it started looking back at its past. Yeah. And it started getting introspective. And, and these things did kind of start appearing. And you also had it with um, uh, with, with with stuff like Happy Days. You know, TV yeah, yeah, yeah. programs going back to that period. And uh, American Graffiti and stuff like that. And of course, as well as that, you, you also had it breaking through into popular culture. So there was a pinball machines make a made a massive comeback they were finally decriminalized in america in like the early nine you know the early 1970s or something yes and 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 so the, that 1950s-ness became very much a part of the 1970s i mean all these bay city rollers songs are fucking late 50s early 60s well yeah they, they they one of the first songs they did i noted from their wikipedia page one of the very first songs they did was Please Mr. Postman. Yes. And, and like, you know, and that's exactly it, isn't it? It's, it's fucking Tim Pan Alley. Yeah. And uh, it's just so supremely unappealing. I mean, 20 episodes, right? I'd be disappointed if I was in the studio audience for that program and they didn't play Bye Bye Baby. <laughs> I want my fucking money back. Well, you would have got lucky in this episode. Well, yeah, but this is like the first one. The so, first one. did they do it every week? Well, I, I, one of my big questions about this is that's twenty episodes. They performed three songs in this, so that's six, yeah. that's sixty songs. Did they have sixty songs? Well, I'm concerned. Obviously not. Although, you know, the core roots of the group go back almost ten years. So maybe they did. Yeah, some old rockabilly numbers. But then they wouldn't, though, would they? You know, you know all right, okay, now we're going to play a bunch of old rockabilly songs from the fucking late 1950s or whatever. They're going to play Bye Bye Baby of course, again, yeah. eventually. Although, I'd, like I say, I'd like to know if they played that one song every single episode. Because they must have played shang lang every episode, because that was the fucking theme Well, yeah, that's the theme music. That was one of their first big hits. And in fact, their second top five hit, Summer Love Sensation, also appears in uh, in this programme as the final song that they perform. It's worth remembering, of course, with the rock and roll nostalgia, that Malcolm McLaren's shop, which later became Sex, on the King's Road, was initially a shop selling teddy boy fashion. Yeah. And Malcolm McLaren also described his efforts to create the Sex Pistols as him wanting them to be like the Bay City Rollers. Yeah. So, you know, the Bay City Rollers were very much of a very, very specific time. (laughs) Very specific. And, And 
you can see it in, in their hair, in their mode of dress, which was basically ankle-swinging trousers, lots of badges, yeah. braces, platform shoes. Uh, one of the things that fa- always fascinates me is looking at their teeth. I can't, mm. I cannot imagine a pop mm. group being allowed to have teeth like that in this day and age. Oh, well, they just wouldn't. And would they, they're, they're not bad that, teeth. They're not, they, you know, they're not. They're not like wood, but yeah, they're. It, it's it's not what you're used to. No, but I mean, the thing is that you wouldn't get the basic rollers in any way these days. No, <laughs> no fucking way would they put a boy band out there now with their instruments. You know, yeah. when they when they've tried that before, and they just end up looking stupid. Well, uh, you know, so so there's that. You would never pull off a haircut like that these days. You would never pull off a skin color like that these days. Well, this is they they they're on the they're on the line between white and grey. This is one of the reasons that it took me a while to figure out that Les wasn't wearing anything under his jacket because yeah. uh, you know uh, when you see that sort of color white you assume that it's it a looks shirt like a white t-shirt yeah it's uh, i mean they it, you wouldn't get any of that they would be airbrushed and they would have every single imperfection perceived imperfection ironed out yeah uh they wouldn't they wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the station that would be the same if they were an indie band these days, you know. True. It's, I, I can't imagine that kids like that get famous anymore. No. But, um, I mean... Except for, you know, turning up at school with a submachine gun. <laughs> the, ba- <laughs> the basically rollers were famous. I mean, ultimately... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think their success boils down to the fact that they were the first really, really huge band that got the teenagers excited since the Beatles. So everyone went, oh, here we go. It's funny you should say that, because I've long felt that the early to mid-70s, there was a desperation for it. Yeah. There was a generation who'd come through and they'd seen their older brothers and sisters have this thing in 1963 or 64 and they hadn't quite had it themselves and the same thing happened with um david cassidy a couple of years earlier or a year earlier yeah uh when david cassidy came over here it was fucking crazy a girl was killed at one of his concerts Uh, it was a white city stadium i think that was 73 it might even have been 74 yeah and a girl was killed in the crush at the front of the stage. It was absolutely... But, but there was something... It was proper hysterical. There was something almost unhinged about it. This, this desperation. And I think that the same thing happened with the Bay City Rollers. They were lucky slash unlucky, delete as applicable, to be the next thing that this kind of hormonal pubescent mob set its eyes upon big glam rock bands they never really went for bowie they never really went for not like that no it's very odd that they should have waited for something really kind of cuddly and yeah small c conservative you know and and and, and backward look it's interesting that 
they didn't go for all of those those bands that you you said. I mean, there was a bit with T Rex, but never of the same ilk. Yeah, yeah. It shows the complete madness of hormones, doesn't it? There's no reasoning with hormones. The heart wants what it wants. <laughs> You've probably gathered that we have a slight amount of chaos here this afternoon, and one of the reasons for that is that with us we have the Bay City Rollers, who've flown all the way up from Bournemouth. Hey! We were all down there last night, and actually, Leslie has been doing part of the flying today, right? That's that's correct. (laughs) How long long has this flying thing been going on, Les? Oh, I've been at it quite a while now. I've done the 21 hours flying thing, and I I flew them up from Hearn Airport to Leicester today. Didn't I, boys? Yes, yeah, you did, Leslie. Well, we better we better have a comment on the flight, fellas. What was the flight like? Uh, well, no. for the second day, I think it was great. We talk about David Cassidy and the crush that took the life of one of his fans. This programme is broadcast six weeks before possibly the most notable event in the history of Rollermania, which took place right. at the BBC Radio 1 fun day at Mallory Park in Leicestershire. Ah, the infamous. The infamous. Yes. The 18th of yeah. May, 1975. Mallory Park is a uh, motor racing circuit. Um, yeah. It's a fairly simple circuit. It basically looks like a child's drawing of a ray gun. It's got a, an oval circuit and then a sort of ha- a very thin handle-like panhandle section with a hairpin. It kind of sounds a bit like a penis. Well, there, there is a certain amount of penis. A com- comedy cock and balls. Yeah, com- comedy that. cock and ballsness. Uh, and inside the, the large oval circuit, there are a, a few lakes and, and islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea, I believe, was that the basic rollers were going to arrive via helicopter onto one of these, the smaller islands, and put in a public appearance. They weren't even going to perform, they were just there to turn up and wave. And yeah. what actually happened is that hordes of teenage girls, mainly girls, I imagine there were some boys, started yeah. to wade and swim across the lagoon to get to the island where the band were going to be, where their helicopter was going to land. And the only security that was on hand were members of the BBC Sub Aqua Club. Yeah, 50,000 people turned up. Half an hour before the thing was due to start, there were already people on the radio telling people not to come. Just don't, don't yeah. come, because it was so packed. It was a Radio 1 thing, wasn't it? Was it was a Radio 1 thing. I mean, Yeah, because I, I'm, I'm sure I've heard descriptions yeah. or read descriptions of some of the people who were there. They barely got out alive. This, this is quite a famous account of the day by someone who was there, John Peel. Yes, yes. Uh, he said the sub-aqua people were sort of standing there in their rubber outfits with flippers and stuff, catching these strange children and carrying them back and sort of dumping them on the other side of the bank, who were then pushing them back into the water. The helicopters coming overhead and the basic rollers and lots of car noise and screaming. If I live to be 200 years old, spoiler alert, he didn't, I'm never going to experience anything like this again in my whole life. Yeah. Leslie's account, the lead singer of the Bay City Rollers, we eventually landed on a raft in the middle of the lake. A boat was going to take us to do a radio interview. By the time we got there, girls were in the water swimming towards us. Then there were enough girls on one side to grab 
onto the boat and it tipped over. <laughs> As Les also pointed out, that you know, they were lucky that no one yeah. died. I mean, the shoes he would have been wearing, not suitable for swimming. Absolutely not. I mean, three-quarter length trousers and cork heel platform yeah. shoes. Just, 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 get, have... just get dragged straight but... down to the bottom, those shoes like a pair of anchors. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's possible. Either that or the souls would float up to the top and leave his head down at the possibly, bottom. Possibly, possibly. I don't think they'd be caught. Four people were hospitalised that day. 35 were treated for injuries on the site. See, this this is why they had public information films in the 1970s. Well, this is true. A nice little curio of the day is that another band who were on hand at that fun day were the Wombles, and they helped... Extricate bedraggled, soggy, basically roller fans from the Jesus lagoon. Christ! Just imagine your eyes, <laughs> o- your eyes open, coughing a bunch of water out your mouth, and just as if they focus, there's a fucking womble staring right into your face. Six and a half foot Uncle Bulgaria. Yeah, you'd think you would. You, you'd assume you'd died. I would. You would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Robin Niger and a couple of train fanatics, they won't go anywhere to see or travel on a new train. And they are crazy about diesels and I've just spent many months recording, well, a very unusual LP. Rob, is this the first LP of its kind? Uh, it's the first um, uh, LP, of, I think, of diesel sounds. Um, there have been many, many LPs of um, steam engines, but uh, I think this is the first LP of um, diesel hydraulics. I must say hydraulics. <laughs> very good. Let's get back to the, the actual programme. The... Let's roll back pop nostalgia segment. <laughs> Possibly the best bit of the programme, uh, but I quite like the illustrations that they'd had done. Uh-huh. Uh, and there was quite a lengthy spell where they were just showing Chuck Berry performing School Days. Yeah. Which, you know, that was easily the best song on the programme. Particularly as when they throw back to the next endlessly charismatic and professional piece of linking mm. eric and woody introduced lieutenant pigeon well as the musical guests yes they, this is another regular segment of the program roller's choice yeah there were a number of pretty heavy hitting musical guests at the time cliff richard mark bolan lulu david cassidy himself gary glitter christ sparks i am certain that the other episode of this that i've seen is the episode with lulu the first roller's choice guest spot was taken by lieutenant pigeon or lieutenant pigeon as they were introduced well, let's by be Eric clear for Woody. a second here this is three years yeah after lieutenant pigeon's brief moment in the sun we'll come back to that in a moment yeah it's their number one so hit. fucking weird that they should suddenly be turning up in 1975 still an extant thing well it is a little bit i mean they were performing i'll take you home again kathleen but i think what they were really there for was to peddle their latest release <laughs> which 
unusually enough, was not an album by Lieutenant Pigeon. No. But Rob and Nigel from Lieutenant Pigeon, under the auspices of their other projects, Stavely Makepeace, had recorded an LP of diesel engine hydraulic sounds. Yeah, and they wanted to pedal that. (laughs) They got interviewed on the stage. By Derek, who it's fair to say is a man who had a few esoteric interests of his own. And Derek wondered whether or not young boys would like their new album, which I'll I'll just leave that one in the ether for you all. Yeah, all right, Derek. It's such a... In what world did they think that was a good idea? In what world did they think, oh yeah, this audience are predominantly teenage girls. I know what they'll be interested in. Of all the things in this, we've got basically an open spot. Yeah. We know it's an open spot because they ended up doing this. Well, it's an open spot. We've and... got an open spot. What should we do with it? Oh, maybe we, you know, we've got a new single out. We'll get a new record out for it. Maybe it'll get into the charts. You know, this is the peak of roller mania after. No. What we're going to do is we're going to try and sell an audience primarily of teenage girls an album of diesel engine noises well i thought i mean fucking god bless them well the most optimistic uh, part of it all is that part one actually plays out with a snippet of the record just to get you in the mood (laughs) so you're probably not going to be seeking that one probably isn't on um, spotify although there is quite a lot of lieutenant pigeon okay well you know i mean let's let's go because um... they were new on me i have to say i've never heard of lieutenant pigeon and well let's go back and let's yeah let's let's, let's just give a, a brief pricey on lieutenant pigeon because i i should imagine that most of the people who listen to this podcast will be aware or vaguely aware of them they were a band from the UK. I've got a feeling for some reason they were from Hereford. Uh, they weren't. They were from yeah. Coventry, in fact. Coventry. All right, Coventry. The, as they often call it the Hereford of the East. The Hereford of the East. <laughs> um, but they were unique in that they were the first UK chart act to have a number one hit single with a band containing a mother and son. They released the one single... Uh, yes. called Mouldy Old Doe, which went to number one in this country in 1972. Somehow or other, I have no idea what fucking collective madness was gripping this country that made that seem yeah. like a good idea. Well, because it's mostly instrumental. It is mostly instrumental. Yeah. The, in- the instrumentation that Lieutenant Pigeon have is unusual. It's fair to say two pianos bass and drums and a tin whistle and a tin whistle <laughs> i mean what are you meant to do yeah, i mean well they haven't got a singer amongst them obviously well no clearly not i'll come back to how i know that <laughs> it's the drummer who provides what vocal there is which is basically him just going my old God almighty. Dirty old man. Like that. <laughs> this is the year that you were born. This is what passed for culture. This is the year that I was born. <laughs> and it is this very strange kind of almost vaudevillian sound yeah. to it. 
it's halfway between a marching band and something that you'd hear soundtracking a Buster Keaton movie or something. It's very strange, but it's also very mournful. And visually, they are weirdly troubling. Well, I mean, obviously, the fact that the fucking woman is like, you know, however fucking old she is. Old. She old. Well, I mean, I think she was in her mid-50s at the time. But which, in the 1970s, I mean, obviously, mid-50s in the 1970s is equivalent now to being about 110. But she looks old. She was very much the leading, I think, you know, musical driving force in the in the Lieutenant Pigeon sound. Yeah, I mean, I think it's her son sitting opposite. Yes, her. I believe so. Uh, and then you've got like a drummer and a bassist, <laughs> and it's the drummer who provides the vocal. They did it on top of the pops. I sent you this link the other day. I didn't realise you hadn't seen it. No, I just kind of assumed that you would have done. I, for I some think reason. that there was a concerted country-wide effort to forget about Lieutenant Pigeon that took place Well, somebody uploaded the video of them doing it onto YouTube and I watched it and I sent it to you and you watched it and I didn't realise that it was the first time that you'd ever seen them. Because the drummer was dressed as a pirate For fuck's sake. And shouting his into the microphone. Uh, like that, and there's an then there's anyway. an old deer on the piano, <laughs> and there's an old woman playing the piano. <laughs> um, and actually, I find that performance quite upsetting. Oh, it's it's unsettling it's on several levels. Really grim. Yeah, it's really awful. This, to me, for better or for worse, is what Britain is specifically England. <laughs> <laughs> now you you know I would leave you to watch that performance of them doing Mouldy Old Doe on top of the pops and that encapsulates England I make no further comment beyond that yeah. other than to say that try to imagine how that feels <laughs> and I'm stuck here now yeah Well, it's just it's just when you when you uh, consider the the list of of uh, of the other musical guests that they have or did have on, um, Gary Glitter, Alvin Stardust, Shawaddy Waddy, the Rubettes, Alan Price, etc. etc. And you know, any foo any- knows, any foo knows that you if you're gonna blow your budget. You blow it on the first episode. Yeah? Yeah? You don't fucking go, oh, brand new series and uh, here on ITV this evening and there's fucking 
10 million people watching or 12 million people watching and it's the basic rollers fucking they bang their way through shangalang and then obviously bye bye baby and they're like and now lieutenant like, what the fuck well exactly i mean actually uh, you know mark bolan couldn't have been difficult to get in 1975 no that's a coup bring on mark bolan bring on slade <laughs> Yeah. Bring on Alvin Stardust. He'd do it. Well, uh, he did do it. Not, the, not this bunch of fucking pork pie-eating weirdos. But the thing is that the, I think the whole problem with this programme is that it is predicated entirely on the fact that if the Bay City Rollers are in it, people are going to watch it. So they're not worried about yeah. the content and they're not worried about whether or not the Bay City Rollers know how to present a television programme in any kind of convincing way. Then why bother with any of it? Why, well, why, I know. Why not just have them yeah, doing just songs? Just have them and... standing there. A regular guest on Shanghai will be Big Jim Sullivan, who will play each week different aspects of guitar playing. Now stand by now for Big Jim Sullivan. Driving out to do a TV show, my guitar in the back, I was feeling pretty low. Let's also touch on, uh, in the second half of the programme, their other musical guest, as he was for, he, he appeared in 13 of the 20 episodes, Big Jim Sullivan, who was introduced with the promise that he was going to be, you know, teaching you a, a little bit about the guitar. So I, 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 well, I imagine that the sight of a, a young kid with his guitar, thinking, well, I'm going to be definitely in the next big Bay City Rollers style band and I'm going to learn how to play the guitar right now. Well, unfortunately, I think Big Jim Sullivan's guitar lesson was not necessarily remedial level. First things first, uh, you know, you could set off the the repeat appearance klaxon. (laughs) Because he played the fucking theme tune to In Sickness and In Health. <laughs> Which leads me to believe that Chaz and Dave may have lifted that particular piece of music for their mid-80s racist sitcom <laughs> that we did in one of the Christmas episodes, the end of last year. Yeah. I was still, I was listening to it and I was like, that's familiar. It's a dismal country Bullshit. It's a, it's, it is. It is a country and western, but it is the theme tune to In Sickness and In Health. And obviously, as In Sickness and In Health was a decade after this, I could only presume that either they were given it as a cover or they just lifted it. Big Jim Sullivan looks like Willie Rushton at a jumble sale. 34 years old, he was. 34 right. years old. You know. 34 years hard living I don't know I mean look I'll put it this way right he looks about 20 years younger than that woman out of Lieutenant Pigeon so well in fact he probably was but (laughs) the woman so what I'm saying is that we've we've got our ducks in a row we have got our ducks in a row and I suppose actually you know when you consider everyone who was in the studio and their ages they were all you know pretty much exactly where you'd expect them to be. It's just they they all seem to be 20 years older than that to our eyes now. It's depressing, depressing. Particularly, I mean, you know, two of the Bay City Rollers are under 20. 
Yeah. And that's just sad. <laughs> yeah. He didn't actually teach him anything. Didn't actually teach you anything. No, he doesn't teach he, anybody. He played a song, and then he just ran up and down, you know, the fretboard a couple of times. Yeah, in, in, in a way that no beginner could possibly hope to emulate. No, of course not. It's like, you know, he didn't show you how to play, like, that kind of pick style with your thumbs. It involves using, you know... Just teach us some chords first, Jim. Yeah, yeah. But no, and next week we we are told he's going to be teaching us about electric guitars. Oh so I mean, if if he yeah, come on dressed as Jimmy, he Andrews. is. He's going to be it. playing it behind his bleeding head <laughs> or doing it with his teeth, and then go right, come on, smash it up and set it on fire. Yeah, you know, if you want to have him come on and do the theme tune to In Sickness and In Health, then then <laughs> you do you. <laughs> but. Don't dress it up as an educational section. What the hell are you doing? I I wonder. And this is the thing, you see, because that history of rock and roll thing could be construed as education. Well, you do have to wonder whether or not there was, you know, that was part of the remit. You and you do start to wonder what what exactly went on in the negotiations over it. Yeah. Because it's just, again, it's such a weird thing to do. Because the, the programme itself is extremely slight. It's... Oh, God, yeah. You know, three songs, an interview about trains, uh, yeah. and an educational segment, and it's it's over. It's, it's mercifully short, considering yeah. it's fucking rotten. Don't you want to watch more of them, though? I kind of... Aren't you... Aren't you strangely fascinated oh, absolutely. by how grim yeah. it is. I'm grimly fascinated and in many ways I would quite happily rub a neck at this particular car crash for a little bit longer, yeah. But yeah. I don't think that I'm going to progress in my knowledge of anything as a result of it. It will just purely be schadenfreude of a, a jaded and cynical middle-aged man watching young men do a dismal television program it's just i i mean i wish that half the shit that happened to them hadn't happened to you know i mean the whole experience just sounds so desperate so awful yeah there's some i mean there's some dark history behind the Bay City Rollers, which, you know, yeah. should should stand as a warning from history for anyone going forward trying to form any sort of band or, yeah. you know, yeah. be, be moulded into a band. Yeah, oh, I mean, I reckon you could tell it almost exactly as it happened and it would make uh, the plot for a film. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. But at the same time... It would be grim and gritty. Yeah, at the same time, though, it doesn't excuse this programme being bloody awful. Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, not at all. It, it, it feels as if they've just kind of thrown together whatever they could possibly it's, think yeah, of. Yeah, it's utter, utter cynicism on behalf. Yeah. And I don't, um, I don't necessarily blame the Bay City Rollers for this. I blame Granada Television. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird because Granada Television were... Very, very good at making television programmes. Yeah. Very good at making television programmes. And when they spit out a stinker like this, it's very strange to see it. Yeah. 
But um, I, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to find all the other episodes of Shang-A-Lang. I can't promise that I'm going to watch all of them. <laughs> that would be the behaviour of a maniac. It would, yeah. But I'm definitely dipping in and out and I'm going to I'm going to find them and I'm going to see what other weirdness is going on in there because I bet there is that's the thing isn't it yeah it's the sort of thing that if somebody could watch all 20 episodes and then make uh, an hour long highlights compilation for, on YouTube that would be great for me because otherwise I'm just going to have to watch all 20 episodes yep and I I'm not strong enough for that because this was rotten to the core. And that's my final verdict. Alright, alright, alright. It's not their fault. No, it isn't their fault. It's someone's fault. And I'm going to find out is it <laughs> whose fault it was. My fault. We haven't, even, we haven't even touched on Tam Payton. Yeah, well, it's probably for the best. Yeah. I know that we... That, that you know, he should be addressed. Um, yeah. But he's dead. Good. It is worth pointing out, actually, that although I'm pretty certain he was a nonce, um, <laughs> actually, if they'd had equal ages of consent in 1982, yeah, at least yeah. three of the people that he was convicted of wouldn't have been um, uh, against the law. So it is worth mentioning that. Yeah, there's a lot of buck passing going on now. It's sort of whose well, whose fault is that? Well, whose fault is that? Yeah. And at the end of the day, but, like I say, if you're telling if, if you're telling me he wasn't a nonce, then I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's miscreants I'm all not, over. I'm not sold. I mean, he was a dealer, weren't he? Yeah, I he, he was a general all-purpose wrong, and and the world is probably a better place for him not being in it. I did yeah. find that picture of him, though, packing massive heat. I mean, I, I don't know what he was keeping down those trousers. It looked like a skink. Well, it probably was, then. It may have been a skink. <laughs> so he's abused a skink as well as everything else. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you know, he's dead. Good. The pubescent boys of Edinburgh are probably yeah. safer for him not being in the world. I think that's, that is probably a... a a fair and it's you know I'm not a pitchfork burn, you know burning pitchforks chucking bottles of milk or whatever at a paediatrician's front door I'm not <laughs> I'm not like that but you know a wrong one when you see one yeah we're back to slinging pooey bricks again yes we, um, yeah let's let's uh, move away from convicted paedophiles and talk about our creamy centres for this week. Um, have, you, have you been watching anything other than Lieutenant Pigeon? Well, no, that was just... Oh, come on, do me a favour. That was just this evening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that will be again after this podcast. That will be again, I'm sure, yeah. I did start watching Beat This, a hip-hop history. Okay. Uh, I didn't get, didn't quite get to the end of it. Uh, it, it's a 1984 BBC documentary about hip-hop culture. I like documentaries like that. It, it, it's it's a bit like people desperately trying to find the new Beatles in 1974. No, you're this one... Ch- this... You're, they're just made 
when the object is so close that you can't have any real perspective on it. Now this one is just um this one is more just like some bloke going around and meeting some rappers and you know watching some beatboxing and some breakdancing and all this sort of thing. It's it's, it's Well it really... sounds it sounds pretty fresh. Yeah, ni- 1984 it was made. Uh, uh, but you know it's it's got some pretty good shots of Grim New York, in the early 1980s. I also watched Miles Davis live in Rome in 1969. Okay. I primarily watched that because Chick Corea died. He did. um, That's Bitches Brew era, isn't it? Yeah, that's 69, probably, yeah. It was, but it was was decent, decent. And the thing is that I always, if, if it's an act that I don't get, I don't know if we've talked about Miles Davis on this podcast before. We might have done. But I don't... I've tried Miles Davis three or four times. And I don't get it. And Mm -hmm. um, I do like jazz. I was brought up in a jazz house. Yeah, it's true. Jazz club. But I'm very uncomfortable with not getting it. And I tried listening to... um, Bitches Brew again the other week, actually, and just couldn't get on with it again. And the thing is that if I think that no, there's something in there, but I just don't quite, yeah, I'm you know I'm a step away from it, then I will try and find them playing live. I mean, Bitches Brew is a is a very challenging record. It's you know there's no denying it. Yeah, but I mean the thing is that I play the drums, so I want to understand the, 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 the rhythms underneath. It. Two, there's two yeah. two drum kits on Bitches Brew yes. at the yes. same time. My recommendation for anybody who's trying to get Bitches Brew but isn't quite there yet is to listen to In a Silent Way which is a record that he made a year before. Okay, and, maybe uh, I'll try that. It's, it's, uh, it's a great record. Maybe I'll try that once I've once I've watched all twenty episodes of Shangalang. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and listen to uh, that giant hit compilation Lieutenant Pigeon album. I need to see how much Lieutenant Pigeon there is on Spotify. So let's just have a quick. Well, there's quite a lot, I, I think. Is there? Well, well that I sounds mean, like good news. Oh. Lieutenant Pigeon artist. Moldy old doe, one point three three six million listens. Well what you need to do is listen to it all, uh and then, you know, make a playlist. They've got an album called Where's Brexit. They do have an album called Where's Brexit, I know. And I don't know whether that's a <laughs> sardonic take. Yeah, or, or an they earnestly are... held belief. It's two hours, 55 minutes long. It's got 58 songs on it. Like I said, there's a lot of Lieutenant Pigeon on Spotify. I'm not listening to all that. You can't make me. Well, that's, that is true. Their albums only start in 2009. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that they're mostly compilations, but they all seem to have the same sort of three hours of music on. I should have stuck with Emerson, Lake and Palmer. You only get three songs on an album with them. Yeah, they're still three hours long. Yeah, still three hours long. But that, oh my God, 58. I'm tempted. I'm sure you are. I bet I you am. are. 
I am tempted. You see, that's why I, I'm not going to. I'm not forcing the issue. When you said that no one can make you, I yeah. I know that the the man that drives your head is uh, yeah. more powerful than all of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm all about the id. My creamy centre this week was I found that someone had uploaded the official 1993 Formula One review of the season. Okay. From the VHS. Now, this has probably already been taken down. The people who run Formula One nowadays are very keen on YouTube and using YouTube, but at the same time, they're very keen on doing it on their terms. Yeah. But, you know, it was nice to see it again. It's something that I'm very familiar with. It was like an old cardigan. All right, fair enough. Um, you should have saved it, downloaded it or something. Well, I mean, where's where's the fun in that? It was it's narrated by Jonathan Ross. Uh, it's quite an interesting piece of commentary. He's he's actually pretty good, and it makes me interested to know whether or not Jonathan Ross has any interest in motorsport because I've never seen any sign of it before or since. Well, hasn't he been on? He was on um, Top Gear, wasn't he? Well, that's possibly. always a that's always a sign. In previous years and the official reviews, you obviously there was Clive James did three, the master, and uh, Peter Ustinov did one. Yeah. Now Peter Ustinov and Clive James are both known as being fans of motor racing. Yeah, particularly Clive James. Yeah, and C- Clive James's three official reviews are the best ones. Well, yeah, that have ever been made. I mean, they're they're just fantastic. I've, I've almost certainly eulogised about him on this podcast before. If I haven't, I'm going to now. That he was criminally underused and <laughs> criminally underappreciated. I am surprised that somebody with a brain evidently the size of a planet just ended up on the TV making a show in which he laughed at funny foreigners and their adverts. It's <laughs> staggering to think that he was put to such waste. Uh, they could have had Palin-esque levels of wonderful television out of Clive James. And they did, occasionally. You know, he did that oh, postcard yeah, from series, which I, some of that is on YouTube. Which is yeah, I've watched really one good. where it was a postcard from Las Vegas where he was visiting because Las Vegas was hosting its first Formula One Grand Prix, yeah. incidentally. Mm. And that was fantastic. And that, in fact, may have been what alerted the FIA to uh, get him on board for the 1982 review. They're really good. Um, but, you know, he he is a fantastic journalist. I've got... Um, at least two compilations of his uh, weekly column in the Sunday Times on television. Particular obsession with Dallas that he had. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're just wonderful, wonderful, uh, magnificent, scabrous when it needed to be, when, they, when it needed to be, um, which was a lot of the time. If you come across his books anywhere, just buy them. Just get them, read them. Yeah. yeah. If you see anything that's got Clive James in it, it's probably going to be worth your time. Yeah, yeah. It might and you not can't necess- say that a lot yeah. about Lieutenant Pigeon. Yeah, and it might not even be a subject that you're interested in, but he'll probably make you interested in it. He's that sort of writer. Damn straight. 
a pretty solid creamy centre for me. This uh, yeah. was like one of those, it was like uh, a Bendix Bitamin in terms right. of you know deliciousness and yeah. solidity. Okay. Next week. It's your turn, isn't it? It is my turn, and I was mindful of the fact that from Cluedo, which is a programme that you enjoyed so much that you described it as being a total reset. Yep. You you escalated to Shang Alang. Yep. And I am nothing if not a petty and vindictive man. Good. So I have picked an absolute stinker. Okay. For next week. We're going to be watching Copycats, 1985 LWT comedy and impressions show. Okay, I have next to no recollection of this, but I'm imagining it as a Saturday tea time programme. Uh, it was Saturday Saturday evening, Saturday night yeah. sort of thing. Uh, it features Bobby Davro okay. and Gary Wilmot. Right, okay. And... I have actually already seen this. Of and course you, are, you have. You are going to hate it. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'm fine it with hating things. Ab- it is... St- oh, it stinks. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be... That's going to be lousy, isn't it? A fucking... A, a ITV Saturday evening comedy slash impressionist show from 1985. All I'll say about copycats is that I am feeling a certain trepidation as to what you're going to pick after that well the thing is it's it's gonna hurt (laughs) it's gonna it's gonna sting it's gonna be brutal and i I will have no one to blame but myself yeah i mean this is this is true true and fair it was always gonna happen it was always gonna come to this we both know yeah we've just gotta you know at at this present moment in time we're both we're up, both up in the ante to see if we can end this quickly and painlessly. <laughs> and move on to our Shangalang podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, as I pointed out to you over the weekend, <laughs> there is a YouTube account that has got every episode of Stars in Their Eyes on it. Yeah. So, I'm putting dibs in, uh, what did I call it? Podcast in Your Ears. <laughs> that 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 was it. <laughs> Fucking hell! The only podcast that covers every episode from seventeen series oh, of fucking stars in their eyes. We will too. never run out of material, but we may run out of sanity. Yeah, um, no one's no one steal his idea. Yeah, it's no one steal this this idea to do a, an episode of Star where you, where you have to watch three episodes of Stars in Their Eyes every week. <laughs> <laughs> I've said too much. A day, a day. <laughs> three episodes. You know, we've got Podcasts a lot on the hour every hour. We have got a lot of catching up to. T- that program sure. ran for a really long time. It certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Well, podcast in your ears. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't, if, <laughs> if we don't do that, we need to just do a podcast so that I can do a podcast called that. Yeah, yeah. we'll just need to think of a subject if we can't do it on that. Maybe that's what the Shangalang podcast should be called. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, the Lieutenant Pigeon. Oh, God's sake. <laughs> Lieutenant Podcast. The whole Lieutenant Podcast. Mouldy old, mouldy old podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can get these knocked out in one evening. Start at eight, finish at two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking mouldy old mouldy I've got to write these down. Mouldy old it, podcast. Podcast in your ears. Um yeah. what was the other one? Was there another one? Oh Shanger Podcast. Oh, fucking hell man. Looking forward to it. Eight to two, edit all morning, drop acid, and then have a fight in the street. There's, there is no time for editing. No, yeah, no. These are going to have to be. We're going to do this eight or two every night. Yeah, they're Sit going out on. as live. Yeah, they're going to have to go out as live. I don't know where I'm going to find the time to upload them. Um, <laughs> I said that with a huge, great big backlog of terrible podcasts. <laughs> Paid by two people who are quite clearly spiralling out of all control. (laughs) Each one has the same uh, subtitles. Not so much a podcast as a cry for help. Uh, Each one's got the same theme tune. It is... <laughs> Which we oh, sing live every podcast. Oh fucking hell! Oh, dear, there you go. I think I've just, I think I've just re- written and recorded the titles for that. Right. <laughs> now I just need to find a karaoke version of Shangalang and my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Change the words first. Oh, uh, we all know it's going to be called Have a Wank. Let's not. Um... <laughs> Let's not go kidding ourselves that we're any funnier, cleverer, or more adult than we actually let on. <laughs> Maya Angelou said, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they got Tampo. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we're done. I know I am. I, 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 we've, we've been done for some time. <laughs> oh dear. We, we'll be back same time next week. It's, uh, what is it? Copycats for Copycats. fuck's sake. Copycats or copycats for fuck's sake, as it's now known. Yep. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye.
<laughs> we really must make an appeal to the fans, actually, if they can hear us, to keep away from the racetrack, because Rollers fans are all over the place now, and in, in the interest of their own safety, if they can hear me over the address system here, they really must keep away from the racetrack, because otherwise the racing won't be able to continue. Lads, I'm going to let you get off. You're flying down tonight to Torquay. Have I got a yeah. nice connect there? Yeah. Oh, so is everybody in Turkey? I wish you luck for the gig tonight. I'll see you in Wolverhampton on yes. Sunday. It's been my pleasure. Will you pick out a favourite record for us? Um, well, oh, I, a Beatles record. A Beatles record. A Beatles All you need record. is love. Right. Yeah. And girls. And girls. And girls. And girls.